one of the only ladies that can tolerate this sort of thing. <laughs> I felt like the Lord wanted me to put on sackcloth today to teach. I actually got this sackcloth um, about five years ago, and it was after a couple of weeks of praying. Uh, one morning, I woke up, and I have devotional time that I usually spend in the morning, um, about 4 a.m. to about 6 a.m., and usually I would come to a 6 a.m. prayer set, and the Lord told me he wanted me to start wearing sackcloth, and this was 2017, February of 2017, and I said, Lord, that seems pretty presumptuous to go get your own sackcloth and throw it on. I said, if you want me to wear it, you have to give it to me. And I don't say that to the Lord many times. Like, if you want me to do something, you have to. But I felt grace to do that, and I did. And I just came upstairs, told Sam, Sam, this happened this morning. And just so you know, so I'm not the only one that knows this, if somebody gives me sackcloth, I'm going to wear it. And she said, okay. And about a week later, Alice Foster showed up. Well, maybe about two weeks later. I don't remember exactly the time. Alice Foster showed up with a big bag from Fields Fabrics. Is that where you got it? She handed it to Samantha. It was the end of a, I think we were doing like a, was it a one voice? I think it was a one voice we were doing. And uh, so the meeting ends, and it's kind of, it was kind of crazy that night anyway. And Sam keeps going, you're not going to believe what happened. You're not going to believe what happened. And I'm like, okay. She says that all the time. <laughs> not all the time, but it's not uncommon. And we get out. We're, we're, we were right here. You came over here and told me gave me sackcloth. And I went, oh, man. She said, now is the time, right? It's time. And, you know, sometimes you're like, oh, it's a prophecy fulfilled. That's amazing. But that's not, I did not feel like it was amazing. I felt like, oh, this is trouble. This is trouble. And it was. Like, half the church left. <laughs> because I did what God told me to do. And so... I want to invite you this morning to think about what's going on in the world. There is a, by every account, a massive food shortage coming to the entire globe. Now, you might be thinking, God, I hope we have enough food. But what the spirit of humility is thinking is, God, there's so many people that already don't have enough food. Why aren't we putting on sackcloth? Why aren't we mourning? If you imagine that you're a person that at some point in time is going to be like the people you read about in here, I want to tell you, you have more of a time right now than they ever did. You have the internet. You have connection. You have information. You see more suffering than any generation has ever seen on this planet all at the same time. You can see as much of it as you want, honestly. You can see too much. But you'll have no excuse. If you want to be like the people in this book, you'll have no excuse. And I want to encourage you to start to consider what will it take to break your pride? What will it take to get out of a normal life and into a biblical life? How much does Jesus need to shake in your life to get you out of a normal life and into a biblical life? Because that's how far he's willing to shake you. Now, this week, I got shaken to the point where I failed. My faith failed. And I've been saying since 2017, actually, I'm just going to let it roll off my back. Whatever comes my way, I'm not quitting. I'm not going to quit. No matter what comes my way, no matter how much rejection touches me, no matter how much false accusation touches me, no matter how much pain this causes, I'm not going to quit. And this week, I quit. I reached my limit. It was it. 
I cannot do it anymore. I cannot successfully carry a cross. And I told a couple of friends that, like, I, I know what it is. It's the cross, and I just don't want to do it anymore. I can't do it anymore. Like, it's too much. And I told Jesus, it's too much. Like, whatever second place gets, whatever fifth place gets, whatever it is, I don't know. I didn't get first place. I know that. Whatever the consolation prize is, I guess I'll have to take that. Jesus, I cannot do this. And he said, finally, Tom, finally, you came to the end of yourself. And he said, you never could have done it. You were never going to do it. All your mantras of this is it until the end, he's like, that's you, not me. You're staying the course no matter what. He said, that was you, not me. He says, I finally found the end of you. I can't do it. You can't do it. This is what Peter, this is the mistake Peter made in Gethsemane. He was like, I'm ready to die for you. And Jesus is like, you have no idea what you're even saying. You don't. Your spirit's willing, yes, but your flesh is weak. And it's very easy to take spiritual truths, believe them, and in arrogance, let your flesh rise up above them. You see how evil that is? To take a thing from the spirit, believe it, and then rise up above it in your flesh. That's what I was doing. I've been doing it for years. And I've been attacked many times. I've been lied about many times. I've been misunderstood many times. And I was just like, I got the kind of personality that can take it. I had a, a very interesting mixture of relationships when I was a kid and parenting and, you know, time away with my grandma. Like, all kinds of weird things are unique to me that left me with a grace for physical strength to let people say the craziest things to me and let it roll off my back. I could just do it until I can't. I just can't do it anymore. And the Lord in his graciousness has showed me my strength to just kind of love people that were treating me wrong. It's actually my weakness. That's my weakness. And my true strength is to say, Jesus, I need to hide under the shadow of your wing. Like, I can't do it. So if you feel like you can't do it, I just want to pray for you. I feel like the Lord, he, 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 he's glad about that, actually. But he will do it for you. And you'll, there's no other way in except for this gate. And this shepherd, that's the only way in. So, Lord, in Jesus' name, Father of glory, God, we quit. <laughs> we give up our own strength, and we want to believe you'll carry us the rest of the way. Will you help us, God, go the rest of the way? We can't finish this thing. We can't keep the course. We can't stay the course, but you can. Release grace into this room. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, I'm going to continue praying, uh, uh, talking about praying with all prayer. Now, this message is the anti-time war against corporate prayer. Yes, sir. No, you're good. Uh, but Dane is asking for the sake of the stream, do you have bitterness towards those people that have harmed you? And I will say, sorry, I got something going on. Um, I will say I have had bitterness off and on. It comes up. It rears its head sometimes. But I've had a lot of grace to forgive. And I've actually learned to see the pain, that the hard things that have been done or said in my life. I used to think, <laughs> it's like a piece of popcorn or something <laughs> from last night. So that's kind of gross. Um, got it. I used to think that I had a hard childhood. And what I came to realize is that my dad had a hard childhood and that I didn't have a hard childhood relative to a bunch of people I met later in life. Like, as I got into college and I got married and met you and worked, you know, 
people have, everybody has a hard life. Like, everybody has a hard life. And I started to see that those things were coming from a place of pain. You know what I mean? And so I think that when I have gratitude for the fact that I don't have to feel the right feelings, say the right things, that I can actually just wait with the Lord, it softens it, you know? In 2017, when I put this on, and my kids were like, um, how old were the kids? I think Jonah was probably about 15, Noah was about 17, and Luke was about 13. It was a really hard time to have your dad walking around like an idiot, you know? And the church was kind of, a, a big part of the church was upset about it, or confused about it anyway. A little part of the church was upset, a big part was confused, and my kids were the part that was confused. And so in that mix, it, was, it made me really angry, like protective of my kids, and like I got to do this thing that God, God supernaturally made available, and I want to do it. I want to be faithful, but I also don't want my kids to lose faith because of me. And Psalm 69 kind of lays this out. You know, David's like, don't let... Uh, People be ashamed because of me. He says, zeal for your house has consumed me. And so I think, Dane, in the mix of all of that, it's very difficult to not get better, but it's also very glorious to find out that you can get delivered from it. And so I laid here in this room. So there's, we did the sackcloth thing, and then there was the reason I was telling you this story about this is there were the 10 days, the very first 10 days. And I literally laid in that row of chairs, and David Kind was, I think he was over here doing something, and it, I think it was just me and you in this room, and I am moaning. Like, I am, I'm telling Jesus, you got to get this bitterness out of me. I am so bitter. I am so angry that this has happened. And he took it out. Like, he just took it out. And I'm over here. I'm laughing, and David's like, what's going on? I think you were digit digitizing something. I can't remember exactly. But, yeah, so I think being bitter, if you stay in it, is bad. If you get delivered from it, it's good. Does that answer your question? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So Dane, what Dane's saying for the second stream is when you hold bitterness, you're actually holding bitterness against God. And this is true. So in the Bible, it's clear there are no Christian victims. There are Christians that signed up for persecution. That's the only kind of Christians there are. Christians that said, I want to follow you, Jesus, and take up a cross. So if you're feeling victimized, if you're feeling bitter, you are bitter against the process that Jesus has chosen to make you righteous, which is what I was experiencing this week, was just awareness with the process Jesus has chosen to make me ready for whatever he has for me. And he's got something for you. He's got something for me. I don't know what it is for you. I don't know what it is for me. But I know I can't do the thing that only he can do to make me ready for the thing only he can give me. Okay. Great question. Let's move on. Okay. Refresh. From part four, fruitless works are lawlessness. Most lawlessness in the church happens by people trying to fulfill prophecy. The Great Commission, the unity of the, the Bible describes, the outpouring of the Spirit, discipling the nations, these are all prophetic end-time promises from God that will be born out of corporate prayer and persecution. So persecution is the atmosphere that the promises of the Bible will grow in. It's like if we tried to plant corn in the you know, the desert in Arizona, my in-laws are here. They live in a desert. If you plant corn in the desert, it's not going to grow. It's not the atmosphere for corn to grow. Persecution is the atmosphere for these Bible promises to happen in. So the, the Great Commission happening, the outpouring of the Spirit, the discipling of the nations, all that's going to happen according to the Bible in the atmosphere of persecution, okay? Now, this causes love 
to grow cold when we try to lawlessly get these things to happen. We try to lawlessly get the Great Commission fulfilled. We try to lawlessly get the outpouring of the Spirit to happen. We try to lawlessly disciple the nations. What happens is that's false. That's the flesh. And it causes love to grow cold. So the people that do it, they get burned out. They stop loving. They just go through the motions. That's what he says to Ephesus. And the people that get that ministry, they also get cold love. Like the whole atmosphere starts to get cold love. And we don't want that. We actually want the Lord to protect us from love growing cold. So that means we have to be in the atmosphere that love grows in. Now, what did, how did Jesus define love? He said, no greater love is this than lay down your life for your friends. So he, Jesus said, the atmosphere of love is actually one of personal loss. Now, the whole world is growing in one of personal preservation, self-preservation, Sorry that's happening to you. Glad it's not happening to me. I'm going to try to do everything I can to make sure that doesn't happen to me. That is the atmosphere that love grows cold in. Love grows in a shared suffering. This is what 1 Corinthians 12 is describing. One part suffers, you all suffer with it. So when we look at what's happening in the world, we should actually be like God. I'm not suffering with this part of your kingdom that's actually being persecuted for doing what's right. I want love to grow. He says, Step up to the cross, no problem. I can help you grow in love, but you can't. You're never going to carry the cross on your own. That will make you better and your love grow cold. Okay, so uh, Matthew 24, 12, because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. Now, I spent most of the last message on this, part four, talking about fruitlessness and fruitfulness. And you may have been confused. I thought we were talking about corporate prayer. But the point is, corporate prayer is the only fruitful thing that the Bible describes in the last days. All of the works are fruitless if they're not actually in the place of corporate prayer because fruit happens. You don't grit your teeth and pop fruit out. I mean, if you can do that, let's go talk to Vince because he's kind of interested in the fruit. But I think Vince would tell you fruit actually kind of happens in this amazing creation miracle process where I kind of take care of the plant and The fruit happens, right? And you don't know how much fruit there's going to be. All the fruit is stuff that happens, not stuff you do. This is the big mistake, in my opinion, that the church has lost, is thinking fruit is something you can do. You can't. You put yourself in the atmosphere where fruit grows, and fruit will grow. If you don't, it won't, okay? And if you're moving around all the time, fruit's not going to grow. So corporate prayer is the atmosphere where fruit grows. It's the fruitful place. Yeah, so Vince is saying, and he knows a lot about plants if you don't know him. He's put some plants in the exact right conditions, and they don't produce fruit. And the Bible is clear that that's true for us, too. Like, the seed gets scattered. Some of it on good ground, some of it on bad ground, some of it doesn't produce fruit. And that, that fruit production is entirely up to you. Do you open your heart to this truth that you can't do fruit that you actually have to abide and let the fruitfulness happen. It's because of what Tatum was singing. Jesus is going to get all the glory. Nobody else is going to get the glory. He's the one who paid for fruit to even happen. Without Jesus and his sacrifice, there's no fruit, nowhere. I mean, no one's getting saved is what I mean. No one's getting healed. No one's getting delivered. And so if you're like, if I just do this, this person will get saved, you're antichrist. No, if I put myself in this position to abide in the vine, Jesus is going to save people, then you're part of his body. But if you're like, if I do this, this person might get saved, 
What you don't realize is that is the very fine line between Antichrist and Jesus Christ. Antichrist will be the closest thing to Jesus Christ without the leadership of the Holy Spirit. He'll be the best guy at the thing. You don't want to be the best guy at the salvation thing or the best guy at the proselytizing thing or the best guy at the praying for healing thing. You want to be the best person at the abiding in Jesus, the Mary Bethany. So that's what we were talking about last week was Mary versus Martha, that reality. And this is what he's calling us to as a church and the church globally to the bride. He's calling us to actually calm down, abide in him, and then let him let the fruits of righteousness start to appear around us. Now, Dane, uh, at Abriel's uh, graduation party yesterday, he was telling me a story. He went, do you mind if I tell the story about golfing? Yeah, so he was going golfing with a good friend of his and, and a guy that I know. And it would seem kind of innocuous, like no big deal. Annie calls him. She's like, she knows how Dane plays golf. I know how Dane plays golf. She wants to encourage Dane. And he's got the phone on speakerphone. And, and this is Dane's best friend, right? I mean, since childhood. And so he knows Dane super well. And he knows Dane loves Jesus. And he knows he's not ready for the kind of relationship Dane's talking about. So Dane answers the phone, speed, you know, it's a speakerphone on the front seat. And Annie says, Dane, I saw birdies. God bless her, or something like that, right? Is that, that what she said? And his friend looks at him and goes, what's he say? He laughed. You're going to need a miracle. <laughs> Dane, what happened on hole number one? He got a birdie. That is fruit. Listen, listen, I'm not, I'm not joking. I'm not joking. Now, now, Dane, he tries to talk to his best friend all the time about Jesus. I know this because we've talked about this for years. But that was fruit. You couldn't make that happen. And it was fruit, actually, because Annie was abiding in the vine. She's just hanging out in the vine, and the vine says to her, birdies. And she's like, I'm going to tell him. I love my husband. I hope he gets a birdie. So she tells him. And God did something Dane can't do and can't do. You hadn't even golfed all year. I know you. If you golfed all year, you might not get a birdie. I'm just kidding. He's actually, he's such an athlete. He went to state to play professional baseball. He's an athlete. But my point is, oh, I mean, he, on his way, anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just love Dane. I'm like, if, if, there was, if, there was a, if there was a guy who knew sports and I was it, I would think Dane was awesome. Okay. So my point is, though, that's fruit versus works. All of Dane's putting himself in the position, that's great. I mean, that's good. But if Dane ever thinks, I'm going to talk my friend into Jesus, that's antichrist. But if Dane is in the right place and Dane and Anne are connected to the vine, then the vine does stuff that produces fruit. Now, there's a testimony in his friend's life that it might seem small to us, but a lot of things that seem huge to us would seem small to other people. Like, you don't know what's going to happen from that. That might be the very thing that he's like, man, Dane knows God. Anne knows God. And then he sees all the other ways that they treat people and live life. Now, you can, I literally have people tell me all the time they know God, and I just look at them for about 10 minutes, or I do a business deal with them, and I'm like, you don't know God at all. You don't know God at all. But they tell me they know God all the time. But somebody who knows God, fruit starts to appear. You see what I'm saying? It's way better, way better. Now, overwhelming need is tempting or testing the church to a fleshy, impatient response. Try and do something for God. If we don't do something, all these people will be lost, is what the Antichrist will say. No. This is a good reason to abide in the vine right now. We, what the earth needs is fruit. 
It needs something. It needs a miracle. It needs more than we can do, more than man can do. So overwhelming need, though, this preach is great when everything's kind of cool and you're like, hey, we got some time. Let's get in some prayer meetings, learn how to abide. And then when we need it, it'll be here. I want to tell you, we're here. We need it. And you, ha- you don't have time to learn to abide. You have to decide all the fruitless effort is actually distracting people from the place of bearing fruit. Okay? Racial tension, gun violence, COVID-19, Ukraine, famine. You want to see people freak out? Wait till they can't get enough food to feed their family. That's not some imagination. That's the third seal. It's coming. It's here. If you have eyes to see it, it's been here for a while. It's just not in your house yet, but it will be. It will be, and that will be the hardest place for it to be. So if you have some things in the way of abiding, that's what this is, actually. Do you know that this is fasting? It's fasting appearance. I have a sweet shirt that Sam got me for Father's Day underneath this. This looks dumb, but it helps me abide. It gets something out of the way, what I look like, and it just makes it easier to plug in. Now, you might think, I don't see how that makes it easier, but that's because you never tried it. If you tried it, you know. It actually does make it easier. The testimony of the Bible is that the whole end-time church is going to be doing this. That Joel 2 prayer meeting, gather together. That prayer meeting is a corporate prayer meeting. Jesus promised to over... Now, I want to make clear. The Joel 2 prayer meeting is not the tabernacle of David. They're different. Corporate prayer meetings are not the tabernacle of David, necessarily. The tabernacle of David is a corporate prayer meeting. It's like... Not all, square, not all rectangles are squares, but all squares are rectangles. All Tabernacle of David meetings are corporate prayer meetings. But you can have corporate prayer meetings that aren't Tabernacle of David meetings. And the Bible has tons of them. We see Solomon dedicating the temple. He's like, if, if we are into trouble and we turn to you and gather together and call on your name, heal the land. That's a corporate prayer meeting. That's not the Tabernacle of David prayer meeting. And you don't want to mix the two. You want to understand There's something special for people that give themselves to the tabernacle of David corporate lifestyle. There's actually a a safety in judgment for the tabernacle of David, the square rectangle, okay? But rectangle rectangles, everybody's going to be doing them. Everybody. Every religion is going to do them. Every religion believes in prayer. Only one religion, ours, believes in actually a God who causes people to rest while he does all the work. Every other religion believes in prayer so God can tell them how to go do, 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 do. Because their God's weak. It needs people to prop it up. But our God's not weak. We have the only God that calls us to come and rest. That's what this is. This is actually a form of rest. Rest from worrying about what you look like or what brand your wife got the shirt from the discount place. (laughs) I love a good deal. Okay. Jesus promised to overwhelm the entire global system. Jesus promised to overwhelm the entire global system. So if you're like, I'm just going to keep working on all these problems for Jesus, he's like, I actually promised to do it so you can't. I'm overwhelming. I'm shaking everything that can be shaken. Jesus is going to shake the Christian religion. That's the primary object of his shaking. Jesus is going to shake Israel out of her complacency and her delusion. Israel is going to shake all of the Bible programs designed to bring in a great commission without the Holy Spirit. Jesus is going to shake all of the discipleship that is not based in, I heard the vine say, this is what the vine is saying, there's the fruit. Everything that's short of that, he's going to shake it till it breaks. And so if you're like, I'm just going to run faster, he's like, I'm going to do it till you stop running. That's what he said to me. Finally, finally. 
you came to the end of yourself. That's what I was waiting for. Now I can do some fruit production in this area of your life. Because I've been praying, actually, for about two months. God, let me see the joy. I got a word, actually. David, David gave me a word, and Steph gave me a word. Do you mind if I share that? They said, there's a test coming for you. And I'm like, for us, right? And they said, no. I mean, I don't know. I can't remember if you said no or not. I think I tried to convince you it was for all of us. And so for about two months, I've been like, God, give me the joy in the persecution. I want the joy before the cross. And I can't, I can't do the math. I can't calculate the joy. I can't find a good reason for joy. I can't feel the joy. Nobody can talk me into it. I read the Bible verses. I don't find the joy. And I finally just said, God, Jesus, there's no joy in this cross. And he's like, there you go, buddy. Let me give you something you don't have. Let me give you something you can't find. Jesus promised to overwhelm the entire global system, Haggai 2, shake everything that can be shaken, to find out who would pray and who would try to fix the need. Some people will try to fix the need. I'm generally a fixer, but in the last 10 years, God has turned me into a prayer. But it's generally a fixer, right? I'm asking Samantha. She knows me better than I do. Lawless Christians try to fix what they think Jesus needs. It's no less lawless. Just because you're doing it for him or you think you got a good handle on what this thing is requiring, Lawless Christians try to fix what they think Jesus needs. It's a fleshy and patient response to pressure. Amos 9, 9 to 12. For surely I will command and I will sift the house of Israel among all nations as grain is sifted in a sieve. Yet not the smallest grain shall fall to the ground and all the sinners of my people, everybody say my people, shall die by the sword. All the sinners of my people shall die by the sword who say the calamity shall not overtake or confront us. If we just do this thing, we get this thing okay, we take care of this thing, we'll be okay. He's like, I'm finding you. You actually just put a bread X on your back. No, no, no. We're going to do this. Make sure these people are safe. No, I am the only safe place. You're actually making them more in danger. Come and abide with me. There's one thing required, never taken away. You have to abide. You have to. On that day, I will raise up the tabernacle of David. So in this very same shifting and shaking, those who say, hey, we're going to do this stuff to make sure we're safe, he's like, out of that, some people come out, I'm going to turn it into the tabernacle of David. There's some people that are like, we're just going to pray. There's not, we can't do enough. They have the humility to realize there's, we could never do enough. This problem is bigger than my education. It's bigger than my finances. It's bigger than my experience, and it's bigger than my power. Jesus, you got to do something. And he will. He will. This is the glorious truth. He will. Which has fallen down to repair its damages. I will raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Eden and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord who does this thing. The Great Commission is a fruit that grows from a people abiding in the vine, not by them connecting others. So you could be like, okay, yeah, it's abiding in the vine. I'm going to go get a bunch of people to help him abide in the vine. And he'd be like, you're not abiding in the vine. This was Martha's problem. Martha found Jesus, not Mary. Martha brought Jesus to Mary, and then Martha took a step back and got all distracted doing a bunch of stuff, and Mary abode in the vine. So it's not getting people to abide in the vine. It's you abiding in the vine. That's what produces fruit. And then we talked about the tractor versus driver, and then I give you the Galatians 5 passage about the spirit and the, and the flesh being at war against each other. 
He says in verse 18, Galatians 5, if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I told you in times past, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. This is what Martha was doing. She was actually practicing jealousy, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambition, dissension, heresies. And he was like, that's not going to work. I'm not going to make Mary not do the thing. And can't you tell how upset you are about it? That there's a problem with the way you're seeing it. We have to come to this, all of us. This isn't like, hey, there's some bad people that don't get it. This is, all, this is me and this is you, all of us. Jesus has a clear plan to raise up corporate prayer globally in the last days. Now, the reason I say this is all of us is you don't have to look very far on Facebook or the news to find a bunch of Christians that think they're right and everybody else is dumb. You don't have to look very far at all. And if you're honest, there are some places you think it. I know there are some places that Samantha thinks it. Just, just playing around, honey. Okay. <laughs> right here. She thinks it here. Okay. Jesus has a clear plan to raise up corporate prayer globally in the last days. Luke 5, 33 to 39. One day, some people said to Jesus, John the Baptist's disciples fast and pray regularly, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees. Why are your disciples always eating and drinking? And Jesus responded, do wedding guests fast while celebrating with the groom? What's the answer? Of course not. Was Jesus saying that his disciples weren't enjoying themselves with him? They were. Were they doing the right thing? Were they working? Were they laboring with him? Did he send them out two by two to go places? Why did, why did he do that? Why did he send them out two by two to go places? It's what the Father was doing, and he was with them. He was actually shepherding them, teaching them. But we read this passage, and we're like, we should go out two by two to do the things Jesus, but that was a different time. He said it right here. That's a different time. Right now, we're fellowshipping together, we're eating and drinking together, and we're working together, we're laboring together. But there's coming a time where they'll fast and pray. You're living in the time of fast and pray. We're, like, we're living in the time of copying what the disciples did. And he'd be like, you're not listening to the Holy Spirit. Did you hear me say this is a different time? But we want to be like, no, let's just go do the thing. That's what they did. And he's like, yeah, but they were living with me on the planet. You will do what they did when I'm living with you on the planet. We'll, we're going to actually spend a thousand years doing this all over the earth. But you're so impatient. You just want to go without me. Without me. And there's a handful, 120, that were like, okay, we've been humbled. We're going to sit in this room. Nothing is happening. This seems weak, but we're going to abide in this vine because we know he's the son of God. And 3,000 little nectarines all showed up outside that room. They didn't do it. It wasn't the perfect plan. They didn't know what was going to happen. We had the hindsight to say, that abiding produced fruit. But they did it in faith and risk. And that's what they'll get rewarded for was the faith and the risk, not the fruit. Because they didn't do the fruit. Jesus did the fruit. They did the faith and the risk. Are you going to do the faith and the risk? What will it take for you to do the faith and the risk? What will it take to get you to plant your little roots in a place of abiding and let him do something? This is the only way forward. And it's, I'm telling you, your atmosphere is so much more ripe for fruit than that 120 in the upper room. 
There is global communication of overwhelming need right now. And the earth, the world knows the church doesn't have the answer. But out of the church will come a people with humility and a heart full of love. And they will be like, you know God, and you act like it. This is what the Lord's looking for. That's what's called a witness. Those witnesses, they will release judgment according to Psalm 149. Two of them will call down fire because they abide so closely. They will protect those who pray, and they will judge those who don't. Most of their judgment will come down in the church, and most of the church will hate the two witnesses. Most of the church will hate the two witnesses because they don't want to abide. That's why. Jesus responded, do wedding guests fast while celebrating with the groom? Of course not, but someday the groom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast. Then Jesus gave them this illustration. No one tears a piece of cloth from a new garment and uses it to patch an old garment. For then the new garment will be ruined. He's saying, know the time you're in. Understand, you're trying to take a patch out of 2,000 years ago and slap it on this day? It's not going to work because this day is going to swell, and that's going to rip. Do you see what I'm saying? If you're like, okay, I'm going to take my marching cues from Luke 10 where he sends out the two-by-two, that's what we do. That's what the Bible says we do. And he's like, that was a totally different time. I was with them. No, I told you what to do by the Spirit. Fast and pray. The bridegroom's taken away. Mourn the, the lack of me. Mourn my distance. Actually, Joel 2 is really clear that when you see the Antichrist army raising up, when you see all the trouble in the earth, then you rend your heart, not your garment. Put on sackcloth, gather together. Who? Babies, bridesmaids, groomsmen, everybody, priests, weep before the porch and the altar. Know the time here and weep before the porch and the altar. Why don't we go out and save some people? Because that's not the time. That's not the time. Abide. Abide. So if you do this, if you try to take the old cloth and put it into this situation where the pressure is building, do you see the pressure building right now? That's new wine. New wines, it's starting to ferment. It's like it's coming to the point where the earth's going to be drunk in judgment. Drunk in judgment. And if we put that old cloth on it, it will split the people we're responsible for. Okay? The new garment would be ruined and the new patch wouldn't even match the old garment. No one puts new wine into old wineskins, for the new wine would burst the wineskins, spilling the wine and ruining the skins. New wine must be stored in new wineskins. But no one who drinks the old wine seems to want the new wine. The old is just fine, they say. Why? Why do people who drink the old wine not want the new wine? Familiar. Say we know. We know it works enough. It's good enough. We don't know what's out there. Let's stick with what we got. Let's keep doing this. Jesus wants some new wine. Most in the church read the scriptures in the flesh. They want to mimic what the disciples did with Jesus. The fruitless church prefers tradition over prophetic leadership. Jesus taught timing and patience and knowing the time. Jesus' disciples weren't in the time of fasting and prayer. He said it clearly. He didn't listen to the accusation against them. The world is always reacting to situations. It's always looking at something and then judging it. It has nothing to judge if the thing's not happening. It's not creative. It can only take something that someone does in the spirit and and judge it, good or bad. But the, the spirit is never reacting. The spirit's always doing something ahead of time. In fact, it says in Amos, God doesn't do anything without telling his prophets first. It says, there's a lion roar if it hasn't found prey. 
says, I don't do anything without telling my prophets first. So you don't want to be a reactor. That's what we've, we've all been reactors. We've reacted through COVID-19. We started to react into the Ukrainian war. And the Lord is calling us out of reaction into prophetic response, into a humility to say, we have got to stop reacting. We must, okay? Only those who embrace this at the cost of their own feeling of fruitfulness. So if you do what, I'm, what the Bible describes, if you just abide, it feels unfruitful. If you just tend the tree vents and water it, you'd be like, okay, I did a little bit, I guess, but I guess I gotta wait for something to happen. Which you can do when everything's not on fire, when everything's not being shaken right to its very core, when your kids' lives are on the line, your church isn't on the line, your city's not on the line, the food to eat's not on the line. You can kind of be like, okay, I guess we gotta wait for the fruit until it's like, Let's take some matters into our own hands and see if we can get something to happen here, right? Let's actually do something. This is what happened to King Saul. King Saul got impatient waiting for Samuel to come. So he's like, Samuel's like, don't do the sacrifice till I get there. Saul couldn't wait. He just had to do it. He lost everything in one decision. And God did not take it back. Saul, he pleaded with Samuel, Samuel, undo this thing. And Samuel's like, I can't. It's undoable, undoable. Luke 18, 7 to 8. Shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? Only those who embrace this at the cost of their own feeling of fruitfulness, for going, being distracted with much serving, are called faithful. Only those who break from the, the, the human need to cover the shame of being weak with work. Only those who say that fig leaf will never do. And they come into the place of prayer naked and just asking God to do something. Only those will be saved. All those who cover the fig leaf of shame with work, they will not be saved. According to the Bible, it's wood, hay, and stubble. It will not last through the fire. What man can do is not enough to save man is what that means. That's why Jesus paid the price on a cross. So if you're not willing to let him get the glory and cover you, you're not covered. If you're not willing to let him cover you, you're not covered. We have to let him cover us. Faith doesn't feel fruitful until it is. Hear what I'm saying. Faith does not feel fruitful until it is, and then it feels that way forever. Faith doesn't feel fruitful until it is, and then it's never taken away. Faith doesn't feel fruitful until it is. David said it like this. If I hadn't believed, I'd see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, I'd have lost heart. Faith doesn't feel fruitful until it does, and it's going to. All faith will be rewarded. Even a cup of cold water given in his name will be rewarded forever, forever. The prophetic fulfillments of what Jesus taught are fruit that grows, not people that goes. Now, Timing really matters. I've already said that a lot. Okay, so I'm going to take the last couple of minutes, and we're going to just cover a little bit of item two. Corporate prayer, and I'm saying just prayer. So right now, I mentioned it last time I spoke, because of the gun control stuff, there's a bunch of people that are like, I don't want to hear your thoughts and prayers anymore. Do something. This is a corruption. This is an invitation to the church to hear people don't love Jesus just praying. Let's add something for Jesus. Do you hear what I'm saying? It's shame. We're ashamed of Jesus. Jesus just prayed. 
And when people are like, we're had it with just the prayer. All right, a bunch of people that do pray are like, yeah, I get it. It's terrible. Let's do something plus pray. It's gone. Loyalty to Jehovah is now gone. That's called idolatry in the Bible. That's what Israel was corrupted to many, many times. Praying's not enough. Let's do some with the prayer. And that, what that says is, God, you're not going to do it. Your waist kind of stinks. It's embarrassing, and people don't like it. That's what it says. Just prayer is the only thing that will work. And there are some people that will get across that stay faithful to just prayer. There are a bunch, a multitude without number. Corporate prayer is the main target of Satan's plan to resist Jesus. Every religion prays. Only one prays to a God who is a father and doesn't demand his subjects keep him in power. Only one theology calls the subjects of God to rest in his power. That's it. That's what you signed up for, to rest in God. This Hebrews 10, dwelling in heaven is the biggest threat to Satan. Abiding is the conduit to fruit appearing on the earth. And if you won't abide, fruit won't appear. But Jesus knows some will abide. Some will. And their faith will be rewarded. That's what we just read about in Luke 18, 7 to 8. He says, will God not avenge his own elect to cry to him day and night? I tell you, he will speedily, but will I find faith when I return? There are some who will abide. Guaranteed. This Hebrews 10 dwelling in heaven is the biggest threat to Satan because he, if the fruit appears, that means the kingdom of God has come through some people and Satan cannot withstand the kingdom of God. He's created in the kingdom of God. He was made as one who was supposed to be subject to the kingdom of God. He could never overtake the kingdom of God. It's just a lie. It's just a test, actually. The Lord allowed it to, to sift out a people that would believe in God forever voluntarily. He allowed Satan a temporary rebellion to sift out a people who would obey God voluntarily forever. Satan could never win. It was never possible. It was delusion. Revelation 13, 5 to 10, and he was given a mouth speaking great things and blasphemies, and he was given authority to continue for 42 months by God, authority. Then he opened his mouth and blasphemy against God to blaspheme his name, his tabernacle, and those who dwell in heaven. The very breath God gives, he will turn around and blaspheme God with it. What do you think God is going to do with that? You think he'll tolerate it forever? No, he will not. Thank you, Tim. It was granted to him to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority was given him over every tribe, tongue, and nation. And all who dwell on earth will worship him, whose names have not been written in the book of the life of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. That means if you haven't signed up for slain, you will worship him. If you signed up for protection, you signed up for victory, you signed up for harvest, you signed up for power, you didn't sign up for a cross, You'll worship the Antichrist. He'll give you everything you need to compromise and think you're worshiping what is good and what is right. And you'll get delusion and you won't even know. You won't even know it. You'll feel good all the way to that point where you're like, we prophesied in your name. And he's like, get away from me. You practice lawlessness. All who dwell on earth will worship him, whose names have not been written in the book of the life of the Lamb, slain from the foundation of the world. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. Now, I'm not talking about slain like somebody came and found you with a gun or a sword. I'm talking about you died to yourself. If you're waiting for somebody to come kill you to be faithful, that's not faithful. You die to yourself now. You die to your own strength. You die to your own power, your own ways. That's why he said to me, finally, found the end of you. I thought I was going to just beat that sword right to the end, Jesus. I felt good about it. And he was like, that's Antichrist. And there's a seed of Antichrist right inside of you. And you're doing this all for me, but it's not. It's because you think you can do it. It's Antichrist. All who dwell on earth will worship him. 
If anyone has an ear, let him hear. He who leads into captivity shall go into captivity. He who kills with the sword must be killed with the sword. Here is the patience and the faith of the saints. Satan divides to conquer. Jesus allows this dividing to conquer to sift out the unconquerable. He allows Satan to divide and conquer because he wants to find the unconquerable ones. He wants to find the ones that will just abide. Luke twenty-two thirty-one. 31, the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. What did Jesus say after that? He said, I have prayed for you that your faith won't fail. I'm pulling for you, buddy. What are you going to do, Peter? You're going to think that your flesh is strong? Or are you going to come over here with me? I'm praying. Like, we should take a cue from the Son of Man. You know, I'm going to pray, bud. What do you want to do? I'm good, Jesus. Ready to die. You tell me when you're done praying. We'll go get him. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I'm not joking about Peter. I'm joking about me. Right? Talking about you, too, my friends. Satan sifted Peter by finding his strength for God. Satan sifted Peter by finding his strength for God. Was God Peter's strength for God? No. Peter was Peter's strength for God. Satan was like, perfect. I know how to deal with this one. If Peter would have prayed with Jesus, Satan would have not known how to deal with him. Satan's not creative. He doesn't know what the Father's going to do. The Father would have some fruit somehow. Jesus didn't know what the Father would say to him when he knelt before him and said, take this cup from me if it's your will. He did not know. Joy was set before him that Jesus didn't have before he prayed that. Because he was sweating blood. He was, it wasn't like a kind of fake prayer so that it was good in the book. It was real. He did not know what was going to happen. And you need something you don't even know about. And if you're just trying to do the things you think need to be done, you'll never get the thing you don't even know about and you'll fail. That's what he was trying to tell him. You don't even know what's going to happen, Peter. You think you know. You're hearing my words, but you're not listening to the Spirit. You're letting yourself interpret what I'm saying with you in a certain place that you're not really at. And I've been trying to show you you're not there. In fact, I told you you were Satan a couple days ago. But you weren't listening. And now, I'm going to let you fail because I want you. I want you. And I'm thankful he let me fail. I thought that if I failed, I was out. But he knows the difference between immaturity and rebellion. So I didn't want to fail. I didn't want to fail. And he knew. He knew I was going to fail, and he knew I didn't want to. Amen. First Chronicles 21.1 is the story of Satan standing up against Israel, moving David to number Israel. Second Samuel 24.1 is the Lord actually standing up against Israel and moving David. Now, David, if you pay attention to this story, this is actually the one Samantha was trying to talk about a couple of weeks ago. David was in the middle of this sifting. David was the pawn Satan used and the pawn God used, both. It says, it says God was actually upset with Israel. And so he moved David to number Israel. He'd be like, ah, he's trying to get David. No, he was trying to get David. He's trying to get David into a closer position with Jesus, which he did. But he was using David, the faithful one, the man after God's own heart, because he was upset with Israel. So you want to understand, things are not always linear. <laughs> this bad thing happening to this person might just be because of you. It might just be because of you. 
And so Israel got the tabernacle of David because God decided to move David and Satan decided to move David because both were after Israel. And Israel got the tabernacle of David. Isn't that amazing? And David became king of Israel forever. So God worked all things for the good of those who love him, but there was a lot of bad stuff that happened that God was like, that's not good just because it turns out in good. I'm sifting everything. I'm shaking everything shakable to find something unshakable. It's, what, it's actually being prophesied in this prayer meeting over and over. I think Smyrna prophesied it. I think Tatum prophesied it. God is using Satan's desire to disqualify the church to find the humble and qualify them. I'm going to say that one more time. God uses Satan's desire to disqualify the church. Now, how could I say that with a straight face? Well, Matthew 22, that's how. They go to the highways and byways. They bring a bunch of people into the wedding feast. The king walks through. You don't have wedding clothes on. Get out. You can't be here without wedding clothes. If you don't learn this humility to abide, you can't stay. And he'll find a way to get you out. You won't even know it. You'll think you're in. But he'll get you out. You've got to come to the end of yourself. You must. And it's not pleasant. Psalm 127, 1 to 5, a song of ascent Solomon. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchmen stay awake in vain. It's vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows. For he gives his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. He's saying it's about fruitfulness. 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 Anybody ever had to try, try to have a kid and kind of have one and then suddenly have like three right in a row? We did. <laughs> it's fruit. It's a fruit that happens. It's not something you can make happen. Those who count on human strength believe they can do something for God and rely on impatient effort are cast out by their own wandering from Jesus. They busy themselves out of abiding. This is about a corporate prayer meeting. I'm talking about a corporate prayer meeting. You can busy yourself right out of abiding. You can be like, yeah, I'm going to get people to go to the corporate prayer meeting and never go to the corporate prayer meeting. You can show up at the corporate prayer meeting and never actually be in the corporate prayer meeting. And I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about me. Everything in the world demands my attention when I walk into this room. Everything. And my phone doesn't even have to ring. <laughs> it's just my mind. It's like everywhere. And he's looking for us to come to the end of ourselves and say, I can't do this thing, Jesus. And I'm not going to sit here and settle for lukewarm and call that good and give you year after year after year of hating it but doing it. you got to do something. Bring me to the end of myself so I can receive some joy that I didn't have before. I'm not want to be talked into it. I don't want to be taught into it. I don't want to read Bible verses into it. I want the supernatural fruit of the Spirit joy to happen. I've actually had this happen once. Carmen, Miriam, me, and Jacob Fries, we were in a room. We were worshiping. <laughs> I'll never forget it. And something filled that room that I did not recognize. And we were all laying on the floor crying. The worshiper couldn't worship. The yeller stopped yelling. And I laid on the floor too. <laughs> Carmi would appreciate that. And she'll remember it as well. That's enough. Tatum, you want to come back up? Do you want a night to remember? <laughs> Do you want some fruit to happen? Stand with me. Let's ask the Lord. Let's ask the Lord for some fruit. It's a good time to be alive. It's a good time to be in, in light hop. It's a good time to be in the house of prayer. The Lord's shifting everything, not just my wardrobe. He's shifting everything. It's going to be good, I'm telling you. I'm more excited today than I have been in years.
Holy Spirit in this room. We want to feel your presence. We want the fruit of the Spirit. Some of us, Holy Spirit, we're lacking patience. We want the patience. Some of us, Lord, we're lacking joy. We want the fruit popping of joy, God. Some of us are lacking self-control. We don't want more of us trying to control. We want self-control, the, the fruit one. Some of us are lacking gentleness, God, and I am definitely one of them. I want the gentleness, not covering something better. Let the wind of your spirit blow through this room, Jesus. Let the fire of the spirit rest on our heads, Jesus. Let the wind of the spirit blow through this room, Yeshua. God's just giving us a little bit more time here. Don't be distracted. He wanted to give us a little more time just to hear. Pour out your fire, Jesus, in this room. More. We're asking for vision, Jesus. Faith feels unfruitful until it is. Jesus. We are never going to stay in this till the end. You will, though. Make us movable right now. Make us holdable, liftable. I just see him picking you up in his arms, limp. And he's like, yes. That's all I want. He says, all I want is you. You were never going to bring me something fit for me. You're fit for me, he says. You're fit for me. You're what I want. Lord, help us just be limp in your arms. Fill us with life. Fill us, Lord, with love. Love, 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 love washes over a cross. That's what he says about his son. The father says love washed over that cross. They saw blood. They saw water. The father says, I saw love. Lord, give us love. Fill us up with love like a new wineskin so at the right time we wash over a cross. In Jesus' name.